Yeah, I mean, this is something that we're trying to cultivate in our kids. They're seven and almost five now and trying to praise not just success, but praise effort and praise trying new things and, you know, recognizing, hey, you didn't get it at your first try, but you tried again, you figured it out. I think that skill of figuring it out is probably the number one entrepreneurial skill. It's like you're always going to bump up against the ceiling of your comfort level and capabilities. It's like, well, what happens next? I got to figure it out. I'm calling the shots here. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Upflip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Freeman. And on today's episode, I'm talking to Nick Loper, founder of Side Hustle Nation. In 2008, Nick did what many people dream about. He quit his job to turn his side hustle into his full-time job. Five years later, he started the Side Hustle Show, a podcast that shares strategies and tips for other people who want to add an extra income stream or break free from their nine to five. Now he's bringing his expertise to our listeners, sharing his advice on the best side hustles to start and some tips and strategies to help entrepreneurs start a successful side business. Nick, welcome to the show. Alex, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And to get things started, can you just kind of give us the overview of your background and what makes you an expert in side hustles? Well, you hit the high points there. You know, I spent all of three years in my one and only corporate job while I was building my original side hustle. It was a comparison shopping site for footwear back in the days, early days of the internet, you know, pulling the catalogs from Zappos, Amazon, all these other shoe stores and tell you where you could find the best price on your next pair of shoes. And so that was my thing. I kind of naively thought I could be the guy who sells shoes on the internet for a long time. But I was really grateful to have started several other side hustles on the side from that after quitting my job. And some of them worked, a lot of them didn't. And then in 2013, as you mentioned, started the Side Hustle Show and the Side Hustle Nation website to really spread the gospel of this lower risk brand of entrepreneurship and now have interviewed over 500 other successful side hustlers. Because it's less about my story is what I found. It's more about like, well, other people, how did you build that? How'd you come up with that idea? How'd you get your customers for that? So that's really been the most rewarding work so far. I want to ask you a bit about the shoe comparison side hustle. Why did you start there? Why was that the first one? It was just, you know, being in the right place at the right time. I had an internship in college with a Seattle area brick and mortar shoe store, and they had the idea in the early days of the internet to what would happen if we put some of our inventory up online? Would anybody buy this stuff? And so by the time I came on board as their marketing intern, the online portion of their business had grown, of course, by leaps and bounds compared to the single location brick and mortar shop. So that was my first exposure to affiliate marketing and pay-per-click advertising and SEO and e-com. So it was a really cool experience. And so after that internship ended, I said, okay, you know, I was, because a part of my role was, you know, looking after the affiliate program. I'm like, well, some of these affiliates are doing pretty well. Maybe I could do something similar. Like, you know, trying uh, at that time, you know, you had sites like Price Grabber and Next Tag and Shopping.com, like big comparison shopping engines. Like, well, what if I could just snipe off a little segment of their business? Like, I don't want to compare everything. I'll just, you know, try and focus on shoes. I think that nichification or that niching down was something that really helped the site. How deep was your affinity for shoes? Were you a sneakerhead or was that just kind of like an opportunity that presented itself to you? No, I get that question a lot. And it's like, no, I was probably my own worst customer. Like maybe about three <laughs> pairs over the course of 10 years. It's like, you know, my shoes have got holes in them and people, don't you own a shoe business? Like it was kind of funny. But in terms of physical product affiliate commissions, it's a pretty high margin product. And so you'd see, especially early on, like 10, 15, 17% affiliate commissions, which is, you know, not unheard of. In fact, it's pretty low in the digital product space, but in the physical product space, where now you have Amazon paying two to 4%, like it was a pretty significant margin. 
So I guess with that in mind, would you recommend somebody looking at things that they're passionate about to find what their side hustles should be? Or is it look for opportunities that are maybe going to be potentially more profitable than whatever your particular hobby is? Yeah, passion can be a trap in a way. And it's kind of a stressful question. So you turn around, hey, Nick, what are you passionate about? Hmm. Like, I don't know, like I'm interested in a bunch of different stuff, but to call any of those things my life's undying passion, like it, it put a lot of pressure on that. and. You find, you know, from talking to a bunch of people now, it's like, well, I turned my passion into my side hustle and then it became work and I was no longer passionate about it. It was like, I don't want to kill that passion either. But what we found, and there's some research from Dan Pink and Cal Newport to kind of back this up, is that passion tends to follow doing the work, like getting really good at a skill. And I give podcasting as an example. I had no passion for podcasting in 2013 when I first started. Like I had no idea what I was doing, but over the course of now almost 10 years, have become really passionate about podcasting. I've started to identify as a podcaster. I mean, same thing, like painting houses in college, like meh, no passion really for this or the shoe business. But like over the course of doing it for several years, you can't help but walk past somebody's peeling eaves and say, oh, I got to come back, give this guy an estimate, you know, this weekend, or you know, become passionate about the process of it in the case of the shoe business. On that note, if somebody has the idea, whether or not it is a passion yet, what kind of planning or soul searching should they do before they take the step into starting it as a side hustle? I think the magic happens. We're trying to find this intersection or overlap between a skill or interest that you already have, some inherent curiosity to learn more about that subject. And then where is there a pain or problem that you can solve? And I think that's something that has helped the side hustle show do well is it kind of scratch those itches, right? If I can help other people make extra money, hey, there's that's a broad, you know, need that never seems to go away. And it really scratches my own inherent curiosity of how these businesses work. How'd you come up with that idea? How did you market that thing? How do you scale it? And then, you know, piggybacking on my own somewhat skills at Expert Y, I did this myself. And so I have some level of credibility to go out and talk to other people about it. So if you can find the intersection of those things, I think you'll be off to a good start. What about revenue expectations? Because I think that there is an undercurrent in the side hustle side of culture. The way people talk about it is that money's going to roll in and you can just start taking these elaborate vacations. <laughs> sounds like you've been spending some time on TikTok, right? <laughs> is, is that the year one expectation or is it? Yeah, exactly. Is that or what's a realistic expectation for year one? You know, for me, it was three years of nights and weekends before I felt comfortable quitting my full time job. I was able to cover my rent after the first, call it 12 to 18 months. And to me, that was a huge win. It was, you know, not replacing the day job salary, but it was like, this is covering a good chunk of my fixed expenses. I was, you know, very early 20s, like living relatively cheaply at that time. But it was like having this epiphany moment. My day job is gravy. Like, I don't need, I don't need this anymore. You know, so you're, you know, one bad meeting away from calling it quits. Mm-hmm. And it's a really empowering place to be. So instead of looking at replacing your salary, look for those mini wins along the way. Call it the side hustle snowball where you itemized out your expenses from smallest to largest. And it allows you to celebrate, oh, I erased my gym membership or my cell phone bill or my car insurance. You know, and you kind of work your way up, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. You know, you talk about three years to kind of like building that way up. Do you have any advice for assessing whether or not it is worth your time as you kind of get into a side hustle? Are there markers of revenue that you would look at and be like, okay, well, it's been two years and I'm still not yet barely covering my cell phone bill? Like, how do you kind of make that assessment? Yeah, this is where the curiosity and interest elements hopefully come into play that if this is something that I care about deeply enough to keep doing and you have that driving 
internal motivation. Like, why is this important to me? Because if you don't have that, you stop as soon as the going gets tough. And it's like, oh, look, I'm not seeing the results that I wanted to see as quickly as I wanted to see them. And yeah, I could be spending my free time with the kids or traveling or watching Netflix or any number of other things. But here I am trying to get this thing off the ground and it's like a super heavy liftoff. So you got to have that driving why behind it. I think that's really important. And then you have to also ask yourself, like, did the business model I choose, if this works, is that a win for me? As you see, and not to knock on, you know, the DoorDashes or, you know, Uber Eats of the world, like they market themselves like, hey, start your side hustle and you'll find them on Side Hustle Nation as well, because sure, this is a viable thing, very plug and play type of opportunity, easy to get started with, low barrier to entry, checks a lot of boxes, but there's limited upside to it where you're still trading time for money. Like it's hard to scale beyond hours for dollars in that case. So when you're evaluating different opportunities, it's trying to project two, three, five years into the future. Okay, if this thing works, is that a win for me? Or kind of reverse engineer by like looking at people who have followed that path and saying, well, they were reasonably successful. What does their day-to-day look like? Are they still working 80-hour weeks or do they have a little more freedom and flexibility in their days? What was the biggest challenge that you faced when you first got your side hustle started and how did you overcome it? For me in particular, it was like software development. It was like, you know, pre-WordPress or at least pre my discovery of WordPress. So it was like the technical side of having to hire developers to get this thing done. And like every software project takes twice as long as they think it's going to. And thankfully they stuck to their fixed price bid. But, you know, that was a frustrating thing on the personal brand, like the content business, the blog podcast business. It's just the shouting into a void. It's like the battle for attention and discovery that is ongoing. It's like, well, how do you create something that is compelling enough for people to listen to and hopefully they share with their friends and to find a critical mass of those people in to justify the time that you're investing into it. It's really challenging to get that flywheel spinning in the early days. In those early days, how many hours a week should somebody be expecting to devote to the side hustle? Once you start getting up into the 20, 30 hours a week, it, is it a side hustle or is it a part-time job? Yeah. And this is the trade-off. It's like, shoot, you know, for those first few years, I probably would have been better off with a part-time job or better <laughs> off like driving for Uber instead of like trying to build this thing. But I was like, this is something that can scale, you know, it takes the same effort to produce an episode that 10 people listen to or that 10,000 people listen to. So you're trying to aim for something that has some unique scale. I think the specific hours really vary by your other outside commitments. The real key there is consistency. And so if I can carve out 15 minutes, you know, here, half an hour there, you're going to have most control over the bookends of your days, meaning first thing in the morning, last thing before bed, and being proactive about it, building up that hustle habit of, okay, I'm going to make some proactive progress towards something that's important to me. And you kind of build that into your days and your weeks versus trying to do it in fits and starts where like, okay, if I just take a week off of work, I'm trying to build this whole website and the momentum dies as soon as you go back to work, if that makes sense. Yeah. And have you uncovered any side hustles that can become or are in the beginning completely passive income sources? So I, I mean, this is like the debate, you know, is passive income a real thing or not? I mean, the most passive income is dividend investments, right? You know, just put the money into the market in these long established companies and collect checks every quarter. And that's been fine. That's one way to turn money that you earn today into a smaller amount of money that you earn tomorrow, but like hopefully in perpetuity. I like these models where you can create something once and sell it over and over again, whether that's a book or a digital product or an online course or a print on demand type of product. I think those are the kinds of things that ultimately have some leverage, but it's those hours 
and sometimes weeks and months of toiling away for next to nothing early on that's like in the search of that passive income. So what's interesting is we found that most side hustle show guests actually started with a service-based business. It's like low overhead, don't have to create a product, you know, it's kind of sell my expertise or sell my service to somebody else and solve their problems. And then maybe that's not the business model that they end up with, but that kind of gets them in the game. Quick reminder for our listeners that if you're looking for more advice on how to run multiple businesses at the same time, you'll hear tons of helpful tips in episode 60 of our podcast, where we interview Search for Gret, who runs five multi-million dollar companies simultaneously. Nick, in terms of mindset, what's the biggest difference between starting a side hustle and starting a full-time business? It probably has to do with your risk tolerance or risk adjustment. Like you probably heard the quote, I think it's Reed Hoffman, like, oh, an entrepreneur is somebody who jumps off the cliff and figures out how to build the airplane on the way down. That sounds terrifying. And I get that some people kind of need that burn the ships mentality. You know, they're going all in. I think it's more realistic for people with families, with other financial commitments, like, okay, start something low risk on the side, build it up and then lower the cliff a little bit, right? Like, it's just a tiny step off now versus something that's going to be death-defying to make it happen. So that's probably the big thing. And then the other mindset thing is just this willingness to take step one, even if you don't know steps two through 10, those aren't quite visible yet. There's a lot of people, and you know, I bucket myself into this category too, kind of like the type A planners of the world. Like, I want to see this roadmap laid out in front of me. It's like more often than not, it's the people who do the first thing, test something out, and then adjust course. So we see that pretty consistently throughout the archives. How do you make sure that you have cultivated that right mindset to take step one, especially as you just so eloquently pointed out, the one of the big differences between perhaps a side hustler and a entrepreneur in the truest sense is being a little bit more risk averse than the entrepreneur might be. Yeah. I mean, this is something that we're trying to cultivate in our kids. They're seven and almost five now and trying to praise not just success, but praise effort and praise trying new things and, you know, recognizing, hey, you didn't get it at your first try, but you tried again, you figured it out. I think that skill of figuring it out is probably the number one entrepreneurial skill. It's like you're always going to bump up against the ceiling of your comfort level and capabilities. It's like, well, what happens next? I got to figure it out. I'm calling the shots here. When you did take that leap of the side hustle becoming the full-time hustle, what was that process like, first of all? And what was the kind of hardest part of that? Yeah. So there was the financial side of it, where it's like, I wanted to see a track record of revenue going back six or 12 months, probably wasn't fully replacing the day job salary at that time. I'd say I wasn't making a huge amount of money. So it was like a lower hurdle to even get to there, but it was covering our fixed expenses. And we did have a savings cushion. So like, you know, if it blows up tomorrow, you know, not going to have to dip into savings. We're not going to take on extra debt. So there was like that financial level of comfort, like, okay, we're going to be okay to you know, lose this income stream from the day job. And then there's the personal fear side of things. Like I went to college, I got this job, I did what you're supposed to do. (laughs) And now I kind of want to do this other thing, but am I allowed to cut my own paycheck? Am I allowed to go out on my own? Like, is this real? Like, is this allowed? And so there was a little bit of that, you know, even though there was that revenue coming in, it was kind of a scary leap to make despite that. Now, what if somebody wants to keep the side hustle as a part-time venture? How do you grow and scale in a way that keeps it without the the maybe blue sky dreaming of scale? Yeah. So you're thinking in terms of leverage. Am I leveraging an audience or a platform? Am I leveraging other people's time and expertise? If you're having a service business, like, okay, could somebody else go and provide that service and I take a percentage for being the business owner or the matchmaker there, or, you know, in terms of a content-based business, like I have 
inherent leverage when this is discoverable on Google or YouTube, where the same piece of content could reach thousands and thousands of people. So trying to think of how do I squeeze more juice out of like every lemon worth of effort, or that's probably a bad metaphor, but like, (laughs) you know, squeeze more mileage out of every hour that I put in. When someone's getting started on a side hustle, what are some of the common mistakes that people make and how can they avoid making those mistakes? It pains me to see people stressing out over their logo and website and business cards. Go get a customer first. It pains me to see people just kind of sitting on the sidelines waiting for that inspiration of the perfect business idea that's never before seen, you know, to come along. I don't think there's some risk in that. Like if somebody else has done the thing that you're thinking of doing, like, okay, they've already proven the market in a way. And you can come and offer that to a slightly different audience or put your own unique spin on it. Common mistake, getting stuck on the sidelines, spending too much money upfront before validating the idea. Those are probably the, the big ones that come to mind. How do you avoid burnout when you're getting started on your side hustle and you've still got a full-time job and theoretically some other commitments, whether or not you have a family and kids? Yeah, this is a huge issue. And there was a piece in the New York Times a couple of years ago, the con of the side hustle, which you know, it was more on the gig economy type of stuff. It kind of ignored the entrepreneurial upside. It was like, why are we glamorizing the need for a second job? And it's like, that's true. If you are putting 40, 50 hours a week into the day job and trying to stack on another 20, 25, 30 into getting your side hustle off the ground. If you don't have that driving why, if you don't have a supportive network of family and friends and even online peers and colleagues to go and do this, super easy to get burned out. And especially easy if you're not seeing the results from it right away. So it's setting boundaries in your life, boundaries in your schedule. Like, okay, I'm still going to have to shut this off at a reasonable time. And the exception or maybe the you know, something I want to point out is like this idea of sprint and rest or, you know, periods that seem a little bit crazy versus like, okay, if I can, and I'll give the example, this was Rachel Peterson on the podcast who was building a social media marketing agency. And she described this kind of like two or three month sprint where she knew it wasn't going to be sustainable, but that's what was required to get the income up to a certain level to quit that day job. And so I can't recommend this sprinting 80 hour week lifestyle for the long term. It's just not sustainable, but sometimes you almost have to do it to get to the other side. Do you have any software recommendations or organizational systems that you can recommend to kind of organize the workflow, especially in the beginning? Gosh, I remember my first uh, virtual assistant hire for the shoe business and you know was having him create these Google ads and this was a process that I'd been doing myself for years and years and it was like how is he not getting this like what what's so hard about this I can crank these out it's like oh you've been doing it for months and months and years on end it forced me to create that process documentation and you know the checklist and the step-by-step instructions give him the recipe to follow set him up for success and so today that process library just lives in Google Docs and there's a handful of different team members that can pick and choose and they're living documents which is another thing that I learned from another virtual assistant of mine she's like well have you ever thought about doing it this way like no, but actually that's way better. So yeah, update the process file and we'll do it your way from now on. So that's kind of how I keep track of that stuff, that like checklist, you know, getting it out of my head into a format that can be delegated to somebody else. So I don't know, really lean on the software side. I mean, we can geek out on software tools all day long, but just from an organization standpoint, that's probably the big one. A lot of stuff lives in Google Drive and Google Docs. Now, I want to tap into your knowledge of the wide world of side hustles here. And I I guess I want to start with what are some profitable side hustles that require little to no money up front? Little to no money up front. I mean, the online business example is one that probably checks that box. Yeah, you're going to have to register a domain name. You're going to have to buy hosting for it. But it's something that does have some unique scale and you're putting in your own time likely early on to create those articles, create those 
podcast episodes, videos, et cetera. That's one that comes to mind. Any type of service-based business where it's like I'm selling my expertise as a freelancer, as a consultant, absolutely a viable model, almost zero startup cost. Probably maybe you have to like register with your secretary of state at some point down the road, but like, you know, really easy to get started as a sole proprietor. And the model that I might pursue there if I was starting over today would be what I call like the software with a service model in that you kind of hitch your cart to the rising tide of popularity of an existing software tool where the company is investing in growing their user base. And if you can be an early adopter of that tool and provide helpful content that says, you know, here's how to do XYZ using this tool. And you put that up on YouTube, introduce yourself as a consultant, you end up starting to get some views on those videos. Ultimately, you can monetize. But in the near term, which are really after are these consulting called like, hey, could you come in and train our team on this? Like, you know, we don't know what we're doing here, but we, you know, we invested in this tool and we want to figure it out. We've seen people do this with QuickBooks and Asana and Salesforce and ActiveCampaign and, uh, you know, Ahrefs, like lots of different software tools where if you can be an expert in that, you kind of almost tap into some pre-existing demand. What about the highest paid side hustles, whether or not there is a large upfront investment? The highest paid? That's a good question. I mean, some of the most lucrative business owners that I've interviewed have been in the online business space where, okay, if I have learned my SEO correctly, you know, now this website that, you know, two years ago didn't exist or two years ago didn't get any traffic is now breaking in $50,000 a month in affiliate commissions. Like, okay. And because it's breaking in $50,000 a month in affiliate commissions, that's a million dollar asset. If somebody were to buy it and you're building up not just the one-off income, but also like the equity in the business. So that's really interesting. And some of the other high value ones are the recurring revenue service provider type of things where, especially if you build it from the mindset that you're not selling yourself as an expert, but you're kind of like solving a problem. You're doing it in a unique way. The most recent one we did on the show was Ryan Golgoski runs a, a service called 180sites.com. We're selling like a web design service and selling it specifically to like people who have pressure washing businesses. Like you built this whole business. What a random niche. But he was doing when we spoke, I think he just crashed a hundred thousand dollars a month and he was selling it as a recurring service. Like instead of a big, you know, one-off expensive web design investment for these companies, like, oh, look, I just charge him 200 bucks a month for the first couple of years. And then, you know, a lower retainer after that hosting included, you know, website tweaks included, design included, like, dang, I thought that was a really innovative way to go about it, to set yourself up for recurring revenue. Flip side of that, what are some side hustles that ultimately turn out to be low earners and are maybe best avoided? Yeah. I mean, the guy that comes to mind is the Lyft driver who picked me up in San Diego in his Ram 1500 pickup truck for like a $6 ride. It's like, <laughs> dude, after gas in this thing, I think you're going backwards, man. So those ones are, if you need a kind of a short-term stopgap, they absolutely can work. But long-term, you got to think about vehicle depreciation, the cost of fuel, and just your time. Like, okay, is that going to be worthwhile? So those are things that I would caution against. And again, kind of using that crystal ball into the future. Like, is this going to get me to my long-term goals? And for some people, like, an extra 250 bucks a month just gives me a little breathing room in my budget. Totally fine. Other people are like, no, I need something that could generate five, 10 grand a month or more to replace the day job income. This is going to bring us to a portion of our show that we call our Fan Blitz questions. These questions come from our YouTube community. If you're listening out there, you can go to youtube.com slash upflip, join the community and post questions to future podcast guests. We're going to try and go through seven questions in about 90 seconds. <laughs> Here we go. First up, Curtis Penne is asking, what do you do about competitive, more established companies in your area offering a same or similar service? How do you stand out? If you can't be first, be different. And if you can't be different, be better. 
Hector would like to know, are there any like useful skills that can turn into side hustles? I guess I'll expand that to what's your advice on identifying what those useful skills might be? I mean, anything you've been paid to do in the past, obviously, is a skill somebody thought was worth paying for. I think writing is maybe the most underrated skill. I still have a hard time finding really quality writing out there. Shea Brown's question, uh, we've touched on a bit already in the episode, but how do you find the time to work on the side hustle while also having a main job? Yeah, it's just carving out that time, time blocking it on your calendar, making it a priority and being consistent with it. Shea Brown also asked about best way to manage tasks and or make goals. So I'm a little bit old school, just use pen and paper to-do lists for the most part and in combination with that calendar. So this is the top three priorities for tomorrow. Write those down the night before and then go tackle them. Joe's question might be the kind of central premise of this entire episode, but what are the pros and cons of a side hustle? Gosh, in seven seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, you know, you're building extra income, you're building skills, you're building this kind of sense of self-direction, self-empowerment. And the cons, like we talked about, takes time away from other things that may or may not be important in your life. So this is a time investment versus hopefully that long-term financial freedom or path towards financial independence or breathing room. What was the deciding moment in your previous job, which kind of made you say, yeah, time to move to the full-time side hustle? If we were going through another round of layoffs, it's like, well, you know, rather than having somebody you know, lose their job who doesn't have this fallback plan, since I wanted to quit anyways, like, okay, you know, let me take one for the team here because I wanted to uh, go take a crack at doing my own thing. Last one of our fabulous questions. At this stage of success, what advice would you give to your teenage self? Mind the margins in your life, both the time margins and your financial margins. I think that measure of personal profitability is probably the most overlooked financial metric. That is it for our fan blitz questions. If you're out there listening, you can let us know what you think of this episode by reviewing us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Nick, just a few more questions from me. Can you talk me through some of the best side hustles if someone's maybe looking for a true work from home situation that could start there and hopefully stay there? Yeah, that's the cool thing is that aside from going out and washing cars or walking dogs or pressure washing driveways, you know, most of these side hustles can be done from home, especially the freelancing consulting types of things, especially the online business types of things, the e-com side of things. So I think that's really where we're going. I've been working from home in a bunch of different businesses full time since 08. So it's really cool to see what's going on there. And, and, you know, obviously the last few years have accelerated that from even from companies who never would have considered it before. In that specific skills kind of category, when I think about things like graphic design or programming or web design, all those kinds of things, it still to a certain extent feels like you're just trading time for money. So can you talk about what some of those side hustles might be that can become scalable for people that are trying to sell those specific skills? Yeah, so you can scale them in a few different ways. And if we look at the graphic design example, I think that's a good one. So the example that comes to mind is Russ Perry. He built a service called Design Pickle, where when I interviewed him, this was years and years ago, he's doing like 400 grand a month in recurring revenue because he sold this as, hey, we'll do unlimited graphic design tasks for you. A lot of brochure design, social media graphics, stuff like that for a flat monthly fee. And it wasn't about him doing the design. In fact, his line to me was, the truth is, Nick, I sucked at design. I was like, that's <laughs> an interesting thing to hear from somebody sitting atop of this you know, multi-billion dollar design company now. But it was about playing matchmaker. It was about you know him doing the marketing, finding the companies that would be a good fit for this service. And it's really trying to position it in a different way. Like instead of hiring your own in-house designer, part-time or full-time, why don't you just use our service instead? And then finding the qualified designers to go and do that. So I thought that was an interesting way. And then another one, this was kind of like a selling your sawdust example. And I forget her name, but she was, you know, doing 
one-on-one client work in the graphic design space. And, you know, inevitably she'd produce, you know, five or 10 concepts and the client would pick their top one that they wanted. But she had all this other stuff that was still good work. And so she turned around and started selling it on marketplaces like Creative Market, I want to say. Maybe Zazzle was another one. But it was like, I was doing this work anyways. And here's a unique way to go and get paid for that. How do you market a side hustle? Depends on what it is. For me, in the podcast, it was emailing everybody, you know, had no audience to speak of, but did have five or 10 years worth of contact history through email, through LinkedIn. And so it was doing that one-on-one guerrilla outreach, like, hey, I started a new thing. Even if you're not in the market for the side hustle, just, you know, keep this in mind for somebody who is, you know, just trying to plant that seed of your new identity. I think that's really important for a content business or a service-based business just to, you know, make those, oh, oh, I know somebody who does graphic design, or I know somebody who builds websites or, you know, whatever that is. And in terms of the shoe business, it was Google ads. In terms of, I've seen people just, you know, knock it. I mean, in the painting business, it was knocking on doors. It's cold calling. So it kind of depends where you're at, but trying to meet customers where they are. On that note, if you aren't a content company, how do you use content marketing, social media, all of those kinds of channels to grow the business without becoming a content company? Or are most companies actually content companies in some way or another? An interesting example. So we just hired a kitchen remodeler for a project in our house. And one of the things that made him stand out was this dedication to content, where his Instagram portfolio was head and shoulders above the rest. And I don't know if he has a team member doing this, but like taking the time to stage some really nice photos, like these are all the projects that we've done. And so whereas other companies might have had 10 or 20 projects in their portfolio, he made it seem like he had hundreds. And it was like, wow, this is really cool. Like this guy clearly has the expertise to get this done. And so you can probably, and that's a very like visual example, but there are probably ways to showcase what you're doing on a platform that makes sense and drive business that way. We have some cool examples on the YouTube side where one of my guests was a copywriter. And so he would go on YouTube and answer questions like, should I do traditional publishing or self-publishing? How does it work to get an author's agent? How much does a ghostwriter charge? Or how does working with a ghostwriter work? Like just kind of answering these specific questions that his target customer might have. Like, hey, I'm Joshua. By the way, I'm an entrepreneur's ghostwriter. You know, by virtue of doing that, like I think he had less than a thousand subscribers on his channel, but still was driving you know, a multi-six-figure business on the back of that. Is it important at all to diversify your revenue streams in your side hustle as it grows? I would definitely say simplify first, diversify second. That was one of the nice things about the business today is that you know no single partner or revenue stream probably accounts for more than 10% of the revenue. And I thought I was diversified in the shoe business because I had 20 or 30 different advertising partners there as well. But if I peeled that back one layer, 85% of that traffic was coming from Google ads. And so when I had problems with my ad account, business was dead in the water. And so trying to diversify in terms of traffic sources and in terms of client revenue. But in the early days, you got to double down on what's working and just, okay, I'm going into this. I'm going to reinvest those proceeds into diversification. Is there a specific point that you should start diversifying or is it once like things are coming along in this lane, how do we add the new revenue stream? Yeah, that was a mistake of mine. So I don't know if I have the, you know, at 10 grand a month, now it's time to, you know, add traffic source number two. But it's just as soon as it makes sense or as soon as you maybe start to feel the fear of like, oh, what happens if this algorithm changes or the rug gets pulled out from underneath me? I want to make sure I have a little bit of a safety net. Then how do you identify what the next revenue stream should be? In the case of Side Hustle Nation, it's largely been a case of paying attention to what others in your space are doing. 
And so, you know, maybe they're recommending a specific hosting provider, or maybe they have a unique way of selling online courses, or maybe they have a unique way of positioning advertisers in their podcast or in their newsletter. And so it's the kind of this underrated entrepreneurial skill of sticking your head up from the sand every once in a while, looking around and seeing what other people are doing. And sometimes that's a form of mastermind groups. Sometimes that's a form of listening to people in your space on other podcasts. And maybe it's just a sense of kind of forming these in-person or virtual mentorships. I want to ask about that a little bit more specifically. I'd love to hear about ways in which you find mentorship and networking helpful for people with a side hustle and where should they turn to find that community? Gosh, it's huge. And this was something that, you know, I was really lacking in my first few years as a full-time entrepreneur, very much, you know, heads down, working on my thing, barely coming up for air to see what everybody else is doing. So it's been really helpful to kind of build a community around yourself. And if you don't have that locally, you can turn online lots of different entrepreneurship communities, you know, through Facebook, even like the Side Hustle Nation Facebook group. I see mastermind groups starting and forming in there quite often, but just trying to surround yourself Jim Rohn will tell you it's probably the most overused quote of all time. You know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. But I think that's true. And if you don't have that network locally, it's on you to go out and build that of peers who are on a similar mission to you working on not necessarily similar businesses, but like kind of like at a similar stage. And you can kind of help each other out and provide that honest feedback that you maybe won't always get from friends and family. You try to be too polite. How do you stay motivated and focused when things get hard? It's definitely motivating to see the charts, you know, moving up and to the right, like, oh, look, listenership grew. Oh, look, revenue grew. Oh, look, traffic grew. And it's kind of depressing when they're flatlining or when they're going the opposite direction. And so it returns to, well, why are you doing this? Hopefully because it's still fun and challenging and rewarding. And then what's the next thing? Like, how do I spark some creativity? Like, okay, if I keep doing the same thing and expecting different results, that's one definition of insanity. So what am I going to have to change up? It kind of forces you into some creative thinking. Well, what lever should I try and pull next and try another experiment? What's the number one reason that side hustles fail? And what can side hustlers do to avoid that? I mean, the technical there is like, well, you know, how do people die? You know, blood loss to the brain. You know, why do businesses <laughs> fail? You know, lack of cash flow. But really, it's probably this product market fit or this, you know, marketing failure where either I was selling something that people didn't want or they didn't know that I had it. And this is the same reason, like, you know, podcasts kind of fade after 10 episodes was that inability to get enough listeners and build a system to produce it consistently. I think the same thing is true with probably most businesses. And sometimes you find it's like, well, it just wasn't worthwhile to keep doing it. And like, okay, you know, so I needed to either raise my rates or needed to tap into another business. I wouldn't even chalk that up as a failure. I just chalk that up as a lesson learned of, you know, what I didn't like doing and go on to the next thing. If you were going to start a new side hustle today, what would it be and why? All right, let me pitch you on this idea. So let's say I have this data in front of me, but did you know that people who laugh five or more times a day increase their life expectancy by 10 years? I'm totally making out this stat. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds like a great stat. <laughs> okay, so here's the idea. I want to create this push notification app that just sends you a video or even just a audio track of a toddler laughing their head off uncontrollably. And I bring this up because my four-year-old has this amazing laughing. It's been the exact same since he was like 18 months old. It's amazing. And every time we go back and watch those old videos, we're like, oh, this is like the cure for cancer. This is fantastic. So this push notification app reminds you, you know, five times a day, hey, it's time for a laugh break. And, you know, for 99 cents, you can get rid of the ads or something. I don't know what the monetization is going to be, but that's something that's on my, you know, would love to build given more time list because I think that would be a ton of fun. I love it. What's the number one advice you'd have for someone who wants to get their side hustle started in 2023? 
yeah, give yourself some permission to experiment. I had read that at any given point, Amazon is testing like a thousand different variables on their website, trying to eke out the next you know, 0.001% conversion rate improvement. I think we take the same strategy on a smaller scale and say, well, you know, what would happen if I started making videos about topic XYZ? Or what would happen if I started producing designs for you know, print-on-demand supplier X? Or what would happen if I asked 10 clients if they needed any help with freelance writing or something? And you position them as experiments in your mind to lessen you know, number one, to do like, just, okay, I'm a scientist. I'm testing things out to see, you know, what works, what doesn't, what I enjoy doing. And then the second reason is just it lessens the sting of the failures that come along the way. Oh, I got rejected. Oh, it didn't work. Oh, that kind of sucked. But it was just an experiment. Hey, so it'll be deal. I'll be like the scientist in the lab and test another hypothesis next month. If you could pick the one thing that people take away from this interview, what would it be? Probably that, that experimenter's mindset. Love it. What's your favorite business book and why? There's so many. The one that keeps coming up lately is 4,000 Weeks, and it's Oliver Berkman. Apologies, because like it was actually a really good book. I don't want to butcher the author. I went into it kind of expecting, you know, your run-of-the-mill productivity book. You know, here's how to eke out an extra 20 minutes in your mornings by, you know, using these three productivity apps. It was not that at all. It was all about mindset. Hey, look, we got an average lifespan has about 4,000 weeks to live. And if you're middle-aged, you know, half of them are gone. So you're going to have to start really paring back what your realistic expectations of things that you're going to get done are and embracing that fear of missing out rather than letting that control you and wanting to do all the things. Like, no, just be present for the things you are doing. Be all in on those. I ended up highlighting a ton of that book. Definitely worthwhile. Nick, where can people learn more about you and Side Hustle Nation? Yeah, of course. would love to have you tune in to the Side Hustle show. It's the green cover art with my mug on it. You find it in all your favorite podcast apps. I will give you a warning. There are over 500 episodes to choose from. So if you are looking for a more curated playlist, just head over to hustle.show and answer a few simple questions. I'll show you where I hopefully guide you to the money-making playlist of your choice there. And then sidehustlenation.com slash ideas is my constantly updated laundry list. You know, hopefully you got eight or 10 browser tabs open by the time you make it down to the bottom to get the creative juices flowing over there with no opt-in required. That is going to do it for this episode of the Upflip podcast. A reminder to our listeners, you can find more advice on starting a business the right way on the Upflip hub, or you can check the listings on our website to find a business that's already up and running, ready to start making revenue. Nick Loper of Side Hustle Nation. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Thanks.